and welcome to the 86th episode of the podcast F4. We're calling it that since it's easier to say than food and frightening film fanatics. Before we get started, our usual disclaimer, heavy spoilers ahead. Turn back now if you haven't seen these movies. This week we're doing another single serving size episode, and that's one that falls below my three movie minimum to be considered a franchise. It's good to have these shorter episodes in between the big franchises because there are just so many movies um, to re-watch or to watch for the first time in those. So this helps uh, uh, make it a little less work in between those weeks. So this week we are talking about a couple of movies. And the original is called La Diabolique. And there are... Two movies, so there's the 1955 version, Le Diabolique, and a 1996 re... Oh, it's Le Diabolique's plural. Then there is a 1996 remake, just called Diabolique Singular. And then there were two made-for-TV movies. Uh, Let me just go through the uh, main actors in the first movie first. So, um, this is obviously a French movie from 1955. It translates into The Devils or the Fiends. It was directed, produced, and screenplay by Henri Georges, which is uh, also known as H.G. Um, Clouzot. Again, I'm going to butcher all of these names, so I apologize. C-L-O-U-Z-O-T, starring Vera Clouzot, who is his wife, as Christina DeSalle. Simone Signoret as Nicole Horner and Paul Muniz, M-E-U, wait, Maurice, M-E-U-R-I-S-S-E, as Michael, uh, Christina's husband, and Charles Vanell as Detective Alfred Fichet, F-I-C-H-E-E-T. This is based on a novel, uh, the name of which was she Who Was No More by Pierre uh, Belua, B-O-I-L-E-U-A, and Thomas, uh, I don't even know how to say that, M-A-R-C-E-J-A-C. Again, I apologize. I, I'm seriously going to butcher all these French words. Um, then the made-for-TV movies, the two of those came in between this and the remake. So there was one... That was named Reflections of Murder from 1974. That was on ABC. That starred Tuesday Weld, Joan Hackett, and Sam Watterson. Then there was another one from 1993, and it was named House of Secrets, starring Melissa Gilbert from Little House on the Prairie. Then the remake from 1996, adapted by Don Roos, directed by Jeremiah... Chechnik, uh, produced by James G. Robinson and Marvin Worth, starring Sharon Stone as Nicole, Isabel, um, a Johnny, A-D-J-A-N-I. This time, um, the character of Christina's name is changed to Mia, Chaz, Palminteri, uh, and here the character of Michael's name is changed to Guy, and Kathy Bates as the detective, um, who is renamed Shirley Vogel. This movie had a budget of $45 million and made $52.4 million. Where to find these movies? 
The original is on Amazon Prime for free. The remake costs $4. There's also a free version of the original on YouTube if you want to watch a lot of commercials in between. And you can also watch the remake there for $4. These movies are not on Netflix, Hulu, Tubi, or Shutter. Rotten Tomatoes scores. The first movie, with Diabolique's, critics gave it 96, audiences gave it 93, so that is very high, especially given for some something that's, what, like 50, 60, 70, almost 70 years old. Um, then the remake, they did not like it so much. Um, audiences gave it a 34, critics gave it, I think it was like 16, somewhere around in the, in the teens, uh, with 28 critics reviewing it. So, definitely did not like that one. The plot. The first movie, IMDb says, the wife and mistress of a loathed school principal plans to murder him with what they believe is the perfect alibi. The movie opens on a boarding school in Paris, and there's a headmaster, of course, we already said named Michael. We learn right off the bat that he's not a very nice person. No one likes him there. The teachers don't like him. The students don't like him. And his wife doesn't like him. And his mistress doesn't like him. So really nobody likes him. He's a cheapskate. um, And he serves the uh, boys in the boarding school like disgusting food, rotten fish and stuff because he won't pay for anything more expensive. The interesting thing is the school is actually owned by his wife, Christina, who also serves as a teacher there, and she's originally from Venezuela. She has a heart condition, and Michael is also having an affair with another teacher named Nicole, and he doesn't seem worried about his wife finding out. In fact, she knows about his affair, and apparently this is not his only affair. He really gets around. Um, You'd think that Nicole and Christina hate each other, but they don't. Uh, They both seem bonded by their hatred of Michael, who has been abusive to both of them. So they plot to kill him, and Nicole seems to be the prime instigator, but Christina goes along willingly until the end when she gets cold feet. The interesting thing about these two women is they seem to be opposites of each other. Christina is very uh, meek, and um, Nicole is very uh, assertive, uh, overbearing kind of... uh, character so let's see they lure michael to nicole's house uh she has an apartment uh, in a nearby town they drug his alcohol i think it's whiskey and then they drowned him in the tub then they leave him there overnight with a shower curtain over him and in the morning they transport his body into a wicker basket um, and then they manage to drag it down the steps, get it in the back of the car, thanks to uh, the unwitting help of um, Nicole's tenants that live in the house uh, downstairs, I think, or upstairs. Um, But the idea is to take him back to the school and then put him in the outdoor swimming pool that's really disgusting because, of course, Michael won't pay to have it clean. Um, And then for someone to find him and decide that Uh, He died either from suicide or an accident. So that's what they do. Uh, But the thing is, is that his body disappears. So they get the 
I guess, groundskeeper, whoever he is, to, to drain the pool. But he's not in there. So, of course, Christina's going crazy. She doesn't know what's going on. There is a body that's found she sees in the newspaper. She goes to the police station to identify the body, but it's not him. So they're not sure where he is. Meanwhile, his suit is the suit that he was wearing when they killed him. Uh, somehow makes it to the dry cleaners and is returned to the school. So um, they don't know what's going on. Then a detective starts nosing around and um, asking questions. Christina eventually cracks and confesses to him, but he doesn't believe her. Then Nicole decides she's had enough, and she hightails it out of town. At night, Christina hears some strange noises down the hall. She goes to investigate. Then she comes back to her apartment and finds Michael in the tub. So he rises from the tub. This is a really good scene. Uh, his eyes are all freaky. He gets out of the tub. He stands up. Uh, of course, this scares her to death. And because of her heart condition, she dies of heart attack on the spot. Then he takes out the contact lenses in his eyes because it turns out that what we thought was the plot is was not the plot at all. Michael was actually working with Nicole to try to kill Christina so he could have all her money. Um, and it looks like they succeed because she's dead. Uh, but the detective it figures out what they have done. And so he tells them they're not going to get away with it. They're going to get 10 to 20 years depending on who the judge is. And then in an ambiguous ending, the little boy that we saw earlier who said that he had seen Michael after they had presumably killed him, um, this time says that he saw Christina and she gave him his slingshot back. So we don't know if that point if the boy's a liar, because they had to call him a liar originally, but he was actually telling the truth. Or is she still alive and she had double-crossed both of them? Or is she a ghost? So we don't know. Uh, now on to the remake. IMDb says, The wife and mistress of the sadistic dean of an exclusive prep school conspired to murder him. Here the action moves from Paris to Pittsburgh, but it's still an all-boys boarding school. This time it's a Catholic boarding school. And Mia, as I said, Christina's name has been changed to Mia in this. She is a former nun. And we learn that she suffers from something, cardiomyopathy, which is a heart condition. So basically the beginning of the movie is the same, and it looks like it might be a shot-for-shot, shot, you know, remake, a la Psycho. But it's not. When it gets to the ending, that's where things take a completely different turn. Um, so, in the scene, so we get up to the point where Michael, your name Guy, um, rises from the tub. Mia looks like she has a heart attack and dies. He even checks her pulse. But it turns out she is not dead. Then somehow they end up outside next to the pool again. He's trying to drown Mia. Nicole's trying to stop him. And they all three end up in the water. And the two women eventually drown him. 
and Kathy Bates strolls on by at that point, and you think she's going to arrest them, but she doesn't. And what she does is actually punches me in the face and says that that will help her with her story of self-defense when the police come. So it sounds like she has no intention whatsoever of um, convicting them. And that's the end of that movie. So now time for a little trivia. Uh, Not surprisingly, most of it's about the first movie. Um, Liet. La Diaboliques, when director H.G. Clouseau bought the film rights to the original novel, he reportedly beat Alfred Hitchcock to the punch by only a matter of hours. This film, as I said, is based on the book She Who Was No More, um, and because he had beat out Hitchcock, those two authors of that book then wrote another book, which Vertigo ended up being based on. So, uh, let's see, that was called From Among the Dead from 1958. So Hitchcock got a really good movie out of it, too. Um, This movie is an early example of a film featuring a disclaimer at the end, urging the audience not to give away any spoilers, and also did something that maybe Hitchcock got for him or vice versa, um... They said that they would not let anyone to the movie into the movie after it had started. Um, Hitchcock was a big fan of this movie, apparently, and he has gone on record to say that it had a big influence on the making of Psycho, and also the writer of the uh, what's his name Robert uh, Block, I think. Um, also said that this movie had a big effect on the book, uh, the psycho book that he wrote that the movie's based on. Um, uh, The director was convinced that Simone was playing the character incorrectly because she, uh, the actress, knew the ending of the movie and thus was giving away too much to the audience with her characterization. One day on the set, he said angrily, I should have never let you read the end of the script. This movie gained extra notoriety five years later when Vera, remember the director's wife and main character, died suddenly of a heart attack at the age of 46. Her character in the film suffered also from a weak heart, so that's pretty strange. And just to think that, you know, she's very, very vibrant in this movie that she died five years later. In reality, Simone Signorette does not know how to drive, hence the reason why Vera is seen uh, doing the driving in the film. The police chief here is a prototype for Robert Blake's The Columbo. The film skips the lesbian relationship between the two women that exist in the novel. Although it is hinted at in the remake, uh, it never... uh, Nobody ever really comes out and says anything. Uh, It is believed that the director actually served rotten fish to Vera in order to get a genuine reaction from her. I'm not sure how they stayed married after that. The only music in the film takes place over the opening credits. Simone Signorette had not read her contract closely before signing it and didn't realize that she was to be paid for only eight weeks regardless of how long it took to shoot the movie. 
After 16 weeks and a wrap, she found that the director was only going to pay her for eight weeks. She protested, but the outcome didn't change. By the end of the shoot, according to Signorette, she, Vera, and Henri were no longer speaking to each other. Um, instead, uh, Simone spent her time with two other guys that were filming a, another film, apparently next door, called French Can-Can. Um, yeah, that must have been uh, very uncomfortable. Because there's really movies, really, you know, four people. The two women, the guy, the detective, and then some assorted teachers and uh, school kids, but they don't get much airtime. Vera went up and down in spirits when Henri and Simone would begin to fight. She would arbitrate or pour oil on troubled waters, depending on the state she was in. The three of them, not unnoticed by observers on the set, mirrored the three characters of the film. The two women drive from the outskirts of Paris to, let's see, where is it? Niort, N-I-O-R-T, which is the birthplace of uh, Henri. Horror movie director William Castle confessed in his biography that this was the film that inspired him for his next part of his career. He understood the younger generations of audiences sought terror and thrills. This movie is included in the 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die. Uh, Vera, as we already said, is, was the wife of director Henri. This is only one of three films she ever appeared in, and they were all directed by her husband. This film is part of the Criterion Collection, number 35, and that's a collection of uh, historic and culturally important uh, movies, and they uh, release them on DVDs and whatever these days, but they also have a streaming service. A man once asked, asked Hitchcock, uh, Sir, after seeing Diabolique, my daughter was afraid to take a bath. After seeing Psycho, she was afraid to take a shower. What should I do? Hitchcock uh, apparently replied, Send her to the dry cleaners. And now the remake. Gabriel Byrne, Jeremy Irons, and Jack Nicholson all turned down the role of Guy Barron, who incidentally was Dr. Barron, uh, I guess he had a PhD, uh, when it, before it ultimately went to Chaz. Uh, Sharon Stone and the film's producer, James G. Robinson, fell out over her refusal to do a nude scene. Isabel Adjani was born the year Diabolique uh, was released in the United States. And I think she's from... Hmm, she from Venezuela? I think so. Oh, they wrote that into the script. Um, now, on to the recipe. It should come as no surprise that I went with something French since uh, the first movie takes place in Paris. So just a little bit about how uh, foods are structured. Uh, the meals are structured in... Uh, France, and then a couple of uh, famous dishes 
French dishes. So for breakfast, we have, um, it's traditionally a quick meal consisting of slices of French bread with butter and honey or jam, um, along with a um, cafe, whatever, coffee or black coffee or tea, and rarely hot chicory. Children often drink hot chocolate in bowls or cups along with breakfast. Croissants, uh, raisins, and some uh, chocolates um, type bread um, are mostly included as a weekend treat. Breakfast of some kind is always served in cafes who open early during the day. There are savory dishes for breakfast as well. An example, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, but they are long, narrow bread slices topped with soft white cheese or boiled ham, which is dipped in a soft boiled egg and some fruit and hot drink. So that's breakfast, lunch. Traditionally, there was like a two-hour lunch, but of course most people don't take that anymore. Um, although in the south of France or smaller towns, they might still have a two-hour lunch. Sunday lunches are often longer and are taken with the family. Restaurants normally open from noon and close at 2.30. Some restaurants are closed on Monday during lunch hours. In large city, a majority of workers, comes no surprise, will eat in the cafeteria wherever they work or go to school. Uh, sometimes white-collar workers are given vouchers to eat at local restaurants uh, or get things at supermarkets. <coughs> uh, most of the time during lunch, uh, workers do not have a three-course meal because it takes too long. Um, and then some people, of course, will bring their own food for lunch or go to a bakery or, or something like that. Dinner is the biggest meal. It often consists of three courses, hors d'oeuvres or an entree, appetizers or introductory course, sometimes soup, then the main meal, and then a cheese course or dessert, sometimes with a salad offered before the cheese or dessert. Yogurt may replace the cheese course, uh, while a simple dessert would be fresh fruit. The meal is often accompanied by bread, wine, and mineral water. Of course, cheese and wine are very big. Most of the time, the bread would be a baguette, which is very common in France and is made Almost every day, main meat courses are often served with vegetables along with potatoes, rice, or pasta. Restaurants often open at 7.30 and stop taking orders around 10 or 11. Some restaurants are closed on Sunday. Beverages. In French cuisine, beverages that precede a meal are called aperitifs. Uh, literally, the translates to that opens the appetite and can be served with amuse-bouche, uh, literally translates to mouth amuser. Those drinks that um, are served after dinner are known as digestives or digestives. Aperitifs, aperitifs vary from region to region. Um, and I'm not going to read all of them because I'm going to mispronounce them. Um, but... A simple glass of red wine can also be presented as an aperitif accompanied by amuse-bouche. aperitifs can be fortified wines with added herbs. Uh, trade names that sell well include uh, S-U-Z-E, um, 
B-Y-R-R-H, D-U-B-O-N-N-A-T, etc. Digestives or digestives are traditionally stronger. Uh, alcohol, as we said, served after. Those include things like a, a cognac and fruit alcohols. Now, um, I will include this link in the show notes, but here is a list of some top 10 French foods. I'm not going to read all of them because that would take too long. Uh, but I will hit the highlights of a few of them. So there is a soup, uh, a traditional soup made out of onions and beef stock, usually served with croutons and melted cheese on top. Dating back to Roman times, this was traditionally a peasant dish, although the current version dates back to the 18th century. The soup's unique flavor comes from the caramelization of the onions, which often has brandy or sherry added during a slow cooking process. So that's interesting. Uh, we have Coco Vaughn. This quintessential French food was popularized by Julia Childs be- and became one of her signature dishes. The dish sees chicken braised with wine, mushrooms, salty pork, or bacon, mushrooms, onions, garlic, and sometimes even a drop of brandy. Although the name translates as rooster in wine, the bracing is ideal for tougher birds. Uh, the recipe usually uses chicken. The wine is typically burgundy although regional variations of the dish exist throughout France that use local wines. Um, I'm going to mispronounce this one. Cassolette, Cassolette, C-A-S-S-O-U-L-E-T, is a comfort food of white beans stewed slowly with meat. The dish typically uses pork or duck, but can include sausage, goose, mutton, or whatever else the chef has lying around. The peasant dish originates from southern France. Uh, The name of the dish comes from the pot, cassole, C-A-S-S-O-L-E, that is traditionally baked in. This pot is a staple in many French homes, highlighting the popularity of its rich, hearty meal that's perfect for those colder months. Beef bourguignon. Dishes don't get... Much more typically French than beef bourguignon, the dish hails from the same region as Cocovan, that's Burgundy and Eastern France, and there are similarities between the two dishes. Beef bourguignon is especially essentially a stew made from beef braised in red wine, beef broth, and seasoned vegetables, including pearl onions and mushrooms. Another originally a peasant dish, this recipe is now a staple in French restaurants around the world. Traditionally, the cheap cuts of meat would be tenderized in wine for two days to intensify the flavors, although some shortcuts can be taken. So, people have heard of that. Uh, chocolate souffle. The word souffle comes from the French version, the French verb to blow, and the name suggests this is a light, airy dessert. The dish dates back to the early 18th century and nowadays is a staple on dessert menus around the world. The crispy chocolatey crust is perfect for letting the creamy chocolate ooze out of the rich surprise. However, it doesn't have to be sweet. and flat. In fact, cheese souffles are just as delicious if you're looking for something a little saltier. So that's the top five. Uh, I won't go into the specifics about the others, uh, but you can check them out from the link. There's kind of a uh, 
kind of a quiche. Um, a duck dish. A salad, a French salad from the Provence region, often eaten as a side salad. Uh, ratatouille, of course, we've seen the cartoon. So that's it. Uh, oh, wine and cheese. Um, I already said wine and cheese are a big part of French cuisine, so you might want to check those out as well. I won't go into the details. So, why should you watch these movies? Well, it's important to realize that the original from 1955 came out before Psycho Pe Pe Peeping Tom or Repulsion. So, it is the uh, prototype, as we said, for many of these movies. It's one of the first movies to have a twist ending that later, of course, currently... Uh, in modern times, is a staple of like M. Night Shyamalan movies. And this is one of the first movies to put a note at the end of the film asking audiences not to share the secrets of the plot. The second movie, I know a lot of people love to hate it. Um, I didn't think it was horrible. Um, I've seen worse. It, the, it could have been better. But I enjoyed the, the main characters, and of course I enjoyed seeing Kathy Bates. I like her, seeing her and everything that she does. Uh, I like Sharon Stone as well. I mean, all, all four of the main characters, actors, I thought were good. I'm not sure about the choice for the ending. It just kind of seemed to go off the rails at that point and became something, I don't know. Um, just didn't seem, could have been better, let's put it that way. But I would definitely suggest watching the first movie. Yes, it's in black and white. Yes, it has subtitles. But um, definitely check it out. Where to find us? We're on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please give us a five-star rating. If you like what you're hearing, we need all the help we can get. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Food and Fright. Contact us by email at foodandfright at gmail.com. Or check out our website at foodandfrighteningfilmfanatics.podbean.com. So that's it for this week. Uh, next week we'll probably have a uh, bigger franchise. Uh, I'm not sure what yet. I'm working on a few things. But um, we'll see you back here then. Until then, stay safe and have a good week. Bye.